The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Today, we're talking wildlife veterinary medicine with the UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine and all about the upcoming 21st Annual Wildlife Medicine Symposium. This important symposium was brought to my attention at the PAWS conference by vet student Julie Sheldon. She's done wildlife research and rehab and volunteering in zoo medicine wards and has worked with endangered species educational facilities. We had such a... energetic, albeit short, conversation at the PAWS conference, but I felt it was very important to learn more and do an episode focused on this issue and the symposium. So, Julie, thank you. You helped organize this program today and arranged to have two of the UC uh, uh, Wildlife Medicine Symposium guest speakers join us, and that's Dr. Sharon Deem, wildlife veterinarian and epidemiologist. She's a world leader in conservation medicine. And Dr. David Jessup, who's had a long career in free-ranging wildlife medicine and epidemiology and, and epidemiology and conservation and is currently executive manager of the Wildlife Disease Association. So as we converse today, we're going to get an idea of the immense scope and outreach of not only the UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine, but the amazing resources they make available and who some of those resources and incredible people are with our guests. So that if you're thinking of choosing uh, an interest in life and career and the increasing need for veterinary and wildlife medicine uh, participants, this will be the show for you to get Uh, some good resources from. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guests, Julie Sheldon. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Dr. Sharon Deem. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Sharon. And Dr. David Jessup. Good morning and aloha. Aloha from Hawaii. I am so jealous. So um, now we've sort of been introduced, but to give our audience an idea, these three people are from very uh, wide-ranging backgrounds. And if you read the guest, uh, guest host, guest page, you'll be able to see the biographies of each of these amazing people. So to get an understanding of just how 
much is involved in wildlife and veterinary medicine and how much is going on and what UC Davis offers and what this symposium is about, I'd like to start by each of my guests today giving us a little background about yourselves and not so much what you're doing right now, but what got you to doing what you're right now. So Julie, since you helped bring all this together, let's start with you. Thanks, Ellie. Um, so I'm currently a veterinary student in California. However, I was born and raised in Florida. Um, I earned my bachelor's degree in animal sciences at the University of Florida in Gainesville, where uh, that's kind of where my dedication to wildlife sparked uh, when I became involved with the UF Veterinary School, working on manatee research, studying their health and reproduction in the wild. I also helped with some sea turtle rehabilitation during a very cold winter where we had some sick turtles come into the school for uh, rehabilitation and release. And I also volunteered in the zoological medicine ward at the veterinary school at Florida, helping with all kinds of captive and wild um, species procedures with veterinarians. Um, I also worked at a local endangered species educational facility about 30 minutes from campus in Florida where I gained an appreciation for the animal behavior and uh, husbandry and educating the public. So you've sort of been all wild all the time as long as you can remember. <laughs> uh, well, growing up I worked a lot with horses and that's kind of what started my real passion for caring for animals. So. The wildness started in college, I think. So you, you have a definite affinity for our non-human fellow earthlings, which is great, and it's fabulous to see how you're following that up, and we're going to get into that more, this student-led initiative of this Wildlife Medicine Symposium. So, Sharon, let's, let's have you chime in here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, super. Uh, thanks again for having me on your show, Ellie, and, and for Julie having invited me to be part of the, the UC Davis uh, symposium in April. Um, I guess my background goes back uh, to when I was uh, very, very, very little, and I was uh, one of those kids of the 70s that grew up watching uh, Jane Goodall and Tarzan, and I think both were very true and wanting to be those people. Um, I grew up in D.C., but... Um, and I lived, we lived very close to the Smithsonian National Zoo. So I was one of those kids who spent a lot of time visiting zoos and thinking about wild animals. Um, but when I was a teenager, half of my family moved to Washington State. So I was able to have sort of my school years in the D.C. area, a very political area, as you know. And then my summers were on our family ranch. We had a, a, a Texas Longhorn and Arabian Horse Ranch. So I kind of got to um, experience the best of both worlds uh, in the D.C. area at the zoo there, as well as out on a ranch. And, and I suppose I, I knew I always was interested in medicine and, and struggled for a bit between human and veterinary medicine, but became very cognizant of how much I cared about animals and conservation. And so veterinary medicine was, was the way I wanted to go. And I was very fortunate, uh, both at, at best school, I went to Virginia, Maryland Regional College uh, in Virginia and had a lot of experiences during that time. I spent both my student summers in Africa on research programs, one in Kenya and one in Zimbabwe. And, and again, that just solidified more sort of my interest in, in, in wildlife conservation. 
and I uh, was a, a private practitioner for a bit, but knew uh, that my calling was always sort of the wildlife side. So I was able to do, um, you mentioned I'm an epidemiologist. I was able to do my PhD through the University of Florida, but being based in Zimbabwe and Kenya. And wow. really, it was during those years that I really saw the wildlife uh, domestic animal interface and some of the disease issues. We're going to talk a little bit about that today since this sort of began at the PAUSE conference, the interface between zoo, captivity, and domestic and pet versus wild because they really are worlds apart and all three of you having had experiment experience in the wild on location, on the ground, where all these issues meet on that thin green line. It's going to make for a very interesting conversation and how the symposium is going to address some of these issues. So thank you, Sharon. Um, I could talk to you for a really long time because we have some shared history and past in terms of experiences and places we've been. So, David, it's your turn. Tell us about yourself. Well, uh, I grew up in Seattle, Washington in the 1960s and um, went to, I was uh, on my way to going to uh, medical school when I uh, took some field study courses in my zoology major and once I started doing field study courses, uh, seeing animals in the wild and, you know, working on them, I was ruined. I, I couldn't see myself uh, taking care of people and, you know, being in a hospital. So I applied to veterinary school, and uh, it was um, more difficult to get into veterinary school at the time than medical school. So I spent a year working in primate research and teaching school, and uh, then went to Washington State University, uh, got my veterinary degree there. And by the time I graduated, I was pretty sure I didn't want to do small animal medicine, and I didn't want to do large animal medicine. I wanted to do wildlife. Uh, and there were only um, four zoo internships available at that time and there were only five veterinarians working on free-ranging wildlife in the United States. None of them was old and getting ready to die or retire so I uh, decided to take a little sidetrack and um, enrolled in a veterinary pathology uh, extra uh, internship and residency at UC Davis. A year into that internship the California Department of Fish and Game uh, opened its first wildlife veterinary position and I applied for it and for a variety of reasons, largely I think because I was young and dumb and willing to work cheap, uh, they hired me and I spent 33 years working on free-ranging wildlife in California. The first half of that career was primarily with mountain and desert species, elk, antelope, bighorn sheep, mountain lions, bears, and also a fair amount with waterfowl and, um, and other birds. Um, and then the second half was primarily with marine species, uh, pollution, um, causes of uh, mortality and illness related to uh, marine uh, activities, oil spill response and things like that. Uh, about three years into my career, I realized that the clinical training I'd had in veterinary school was useful, but the real problem, the real issue was populations. It was how disease moves through populations, how to keep them healthy, and that's really the study of epidemiology. So I went back and got a master's degree in epidemiology and preventive medicine. And then about five years after that, I studied for zoological medicine boards and got board certified. 
So um, uh, most of my uh, career, essentially all of it, uh, has been on free-ranging wildlife. Uh, Early in my career... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Early in my career, the big emphasis was on capturing and relocating wildlife to start uh, new herds. California's wildlife had been pretty well destroyed uh, by the gold rush, and for about five years, we restocked California with elk and antelope and bighorn sheep. Uh, and then uh, my career shifted more toward, uh, when I got my epidemiology degree, more toward uh, disease diagnosis and, uh, you know, looking at um, disease and health through, through time. Um, and I got an opportunity about midway through my career to leave the Sacramento um, Davis area and moved down to the coast and start a new, essentially a new uh, aspect of my career in marine wildlife veterinary medicine, build a, what at the time was a state-of-the-art $6 million research facility for sea otter recovery and for oil spill response, and uh, spent the remaining uh, half of my career down there. Retired. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. And then I retired in 2010 from Fish and Game after 33 years and took on management of the Wildlife Disease Association. Um, do you want me to go into uh, we'll, we'll what get that into is? That. Yeah, we've got a, a few minutes. Yeah, tell us what, what that is. Okay. Well, the Wildlife Disease Association is the oldest wildlife health-related scientific organization in the United States. It's 64 years old. It has about 1,800 members worldwide, 50% in the U.S., 8% in Canada, 15% Australia, New Zealand, 14% Europe, 4% Latin America, and 4% uh, Africa, Mideast. Uh, it publishes uh, the Journal of Wildlife Diseases and a number of other uh, more popular format, easier to digest electronic sources of information on wildlife disease. Uh, has annual conferences. Um, and... Um, it's uh, an organization that has been One Health probably, well, way longer than that term has been around. Uh, it's always been open to veterinarians, biologists, uh, people in public health, uh, people from the human medical profession, uh, and has quite a broad diversity of membership and a broad diversity of interests. This is really amazing. You, you, the three of you have just really highlighted how important the crossovers are between you, as you just said, David, um, human medicine, veterinarian medicine, and wildlife medicine, and people, where all of these and domestic animals and population uh, decline of wildlife and animal species, not just the foreign exotics that are so much in the headlines today, but our U.S. wildlife, our North American wildlife, and other wildlife outside of Africa and the trouble it's facing. So um, we've got a couple minutes left here. Let's just briefly, how the three of you, I'm going to assume somewhat that Sharon, you're familiar with the Wildlife Disease Association. I think that's a safe assumption. Okay, I thought so. So you've probably <laughs> been a participant, a speaker, and part of these um, uh, meetings and conferences over the years. Correct. And Dave Jessup is one of my heroes. <laughs> that's a wonderful thing to say. You heard it here. Sharon <laughs> and Dave, they, they're two of the good guys and heroes for each other. And Julie... You're young and starting up on this, and it's astonishing how you, and I have to thank you very, very much for taking the time to 
drag my attention to you at because you were hovering around those three days and I saw you and I want to say thanks for coming up and grabbing me at the gala dinner and having this conversation because this is fascinating this is what this program our wild world is all about to help our listeners understand that it's not just about loving animals Uh, that's great it's a wonderful start but you have to turn that love and that care into action and so many people want to know why or how and this program today is going to help everybody our global audience understand that if you have that passion when you see that spark there are resources and we need you earth is hiring wildlife needs you the planet needs you we are at the most critical point in our human evolution and our species in this crossover and our relationship to every other living being on earth non-human living being on earth so with that what we're going to do is cut away to a short break and then we're going to come back and talk about um, this excuse me this symposium each of my guests some of their backgrounds and some hopefully they'll share some stories and what this symposium is about the who what why when and where and how you can be involved so stick with us we'll be right back wildlife no wild no life big scary beautiful predators are in danger Without them, our rivers dry up, our forests don't grow, our communities go hungry, our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect, it's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. 
That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, with an exciting episode today uh, with uh, some amazing people. So uh, we, we heard about who my guests are in the first section and the various backgrounds and all the wide-ranging variety that is involved in veterinary medicine and wildlife veterinary medicine. So this all is sort of coming together at UC Davis, one of the premier wildlife veterinary schools in, the, in North America. So let's start there. Julie, why don't you tell us, since you're the student here and you got all this started, tell us how this, you got this ball rolling. Thanks, Ellie. So um, as a third-year veterinary student, I'm also a president of the Wildlife and Aquatic Animal Medicine Club here that has been around for well over 20 years. Um, and that is uh, who is hosting the symposium that we keep talking about. And it's important because one of my major jobs as president is to organize a symposium and recruit speakers. Um, and it, this job kind of came at a really good timing with one of another greatest things I've done and with my career so far, which was working this past summer with Sharon Deem in the Galapagos Islands, studying the health of wild Galapagos tortoises. Um, So as we were hiking through the woods day after day, um, I finally, you know, built up the courage to ask her if she would be able to come speak for us uh, at our symposium. Um, She comes from obviously a great background and wildlife medicine, and I thought she'd be perfect person to come and teach us on the West Coast and all of our students about what she's done. Um, and luckily, she agreed to do so. Um, and I'll let Dave talk about how the wildlife health program kind of is what makes UC Davis a great place to have such a great uh, wildlife medicine club with such great faculty here. So let me just clear up something. You sure. used the word club. So there's not only the courses for um, interested people to participate and go to school and learn, but this mm-hmm. is an extracurricular club that one joins? Correct. Okay. And it's, it's called, again, the? The Wildlife and Aquatic Animal Medicine Club, and we call it WAM for WAM. short. Okay. I like wham, I like that. So, um, and it's for continuing professional education. So you have to be a student at UC Davis. Do you have to have a certain amount of years under your belt and experience, either um, educationally or experientially, to be a part of this club? You do not. In fact, one of the main goals is to give veterinary students that experience. A lot of veterinary students don't have wildlife or zoo, or aquatic animal, or exotic animal experience, and that's what we do for our students is give them 
um, opportunities to participate in field trips behind the scenes at facilities like zoos. We provide wet labs where they get their hands on, um, you know, doing procedures. And we also bring in speakers and host conferences. So the goal is to have students join who want the experience and are interested in the field. This is great. So this means your job as, as president of this club is um, is quite extensive. You have to work on creating collaborative relationships with a variety of institutions, organizations, and nonprofits. That is correct. And I just want to point out that I can't do it all alone. Um, I am one of three presidents, and I have my two presidents here with me just as emotional support because they're a great team. They're also the third-year veterinary students in my class. You mean they're um, here with you right right now today? They are. <laughs> well, if they want to join in and say hi, they're welcome to because I'll personally extend a thank you because you're absolutely right. We cannot do this alone. We need everybody to do their bit and be interested. So who are your two other presidents? Hi, my name is Adrian Pesquet. I'm also a third year and um, I'm just love to be part of this field and excited for every opportunity. Well, thank you. Your, your first name again? Adrian. Adrian. Thank you, Adrian, and thanks for saying hello. And who is your third president there? And I'm Ariel Laredo. I'm also a third year and very excited that you're giving us this opportunity to be on your show. Well, you're very welcome. I'm excited to have this opportunity. This, this kind of thing does not pop along into my field of view um, just like magic, like Santa Claus dropping it in my lap. And that's what Julie did. She dropped this incredible experience in my lap. So thank you all for being here. So, um, Julie, you were about to hand off to David the importance of the Wildlife Disease Association and that work and how it got under the radar at UC Davis. I think we were going to talk about how the wildlife health program at Davis got started because okay. it it has existed for now about 25 uh, years or so. Um, when I first started working with California Fish and Game in the late 1970s, um, our resources were very limited. And my headquarters was in Sacramento, just across the Yolo Bypass from Davis. And I had spent a year in residency at Davis in pathology, and I knew there were huge resources at Davis, but the interests in wildlife were pretty peripheral. Uh, there was a, a real world-leading program in zoological medicine for captive wildlife and zoos that Murray Fowler started, but there wasn't a lot going on for wildlife, and Murray had an interest and would send his students out with us, but there really wasn't anything uh, in place. And after about four or five years of interacting with faculty and getting some programs going, a, uh, a new faculty member came along by the name of Walter Boyce in the parasitology department, and he wanted to focus not only his own uh, work on parasitology, but to start a wildlife health program. And in the uh, mid-1980s, Walter and Bill Lasley and myself wrote a Pew Grant to establish a, a model wildlife health program at Davis and then share that with the other veterinary programs. That Pew Grant um, funded the first three years of the development of a wildlife health curriculum and a wildlife health program at Davis and has led to a now full wildlife health program, actually a wildlife health center 
that's under the One Health Center and the Wildlife Health Center at um, UC Davis is, I think, the, currently the largest employer of wildlife veterinarians in the United States. And it's all almost entirely soft money. It's money that they go out and get from granting agencies and do um, projects for the state and federal agencies that manage the wildlife for the nonprofit groups that manage wildlife outside the United States. And because it's centered at a veterinary school, not only is there the tremendous technical expertise, but there's the opportunity to give these invaluable opportunities to students to participate and to, you know, uh, get in the field and to find out what's really going on in conservation and wildlife medicine. That's fascinating. It's, you know, it, it makes it sound so simple when you say it that way, but we <laughs> really, but you know, we're all on the, a little bit on the older side. We've been around the block several times and it seems so obvious today, but I guarantee we're, you we're talking about where simple. this was not obvious. It was anything but simple. You know, part of the problem is that wildlife doesn't have an owner. Right. There's nobody, you know, whether your dog or your cat or your horse, you bring it to the vet hospital, somebody is telling the veterinarian what the problem is, somebody is telling them uh, what they want done, the veterinarian is saying what the problem, you know, what, what can be done, and there's somebody to pay for it. With wildlife, free-ranging wildlife belongs to all the people of the country and is managed by government agencies, so there isn't a clear doctor-client-patient relationship that exists within the rest of veterinary medicine. We always used to hear, oh, nobody can pay for wildlife. Nobody can pay for wildlife. Well, that's not true. We found a way to do that, and that's by cooperative agreements and, and uh, employing people through grants and contracts. But at the time, it wasn't obvious to everybody that wildlife could, in fact, become a major part of veterinary medicine. And, and that's what I mean by you just said that so succinctly, eloquently, and beautifully, and thank you for that, because it's become very apparent, apparent that even the wildlife, as you said, it does not have an owner, and that perhaps nobody can pay for it. In the end, we're all paying for it in terms of ecosystem, planetary health, and all the tipping points and crises we're on the edge of today. So Sharon, um, I'd like you to chime in here. Uh, I think you could help us understand and feed on what David was just talking about and help us tie, to, tie together with your wide-ranging background elsewhere, other countries that still have large free-ranging wildlife populations of how important it is and is becoming to get into curriculums in the universities on the ground in these countries to get people interested in this field of study. Super. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to do two points, actually. And one is to jump back to what Julie said about coming to the Galapagos this summer and being part of that, that study. You know, UC Davis has an incredible wildlife health program, as has been pointed out here. And and actually, this summer, uh, we were fortunate, you know, my program here based in the Midwest out of the St. Louis Zoo, we had two amazing veterinary students involved in international wildlife conservation projects. So Julie was in Galapagos working, uh, working away on tortoise conservation. And then a second year UC Davis vet student, Laura Budd, was working on our camel project in Kenya. And camels are a domestic animal, but really looking at the health of this species 
at that interface. So they're a new protein source or a growing protein source for people, primarily for milk, but also they have diseases shared with wildlife. So it's one of those One Health kind of uh, packages looking at these particular diseases that can cross between domestic livestock, wildlife, and humans. And so another UC Davis student was able to be out in the field on an international project, which is really amazing. And some of the funding for both Julie and Laura through a UC Davis uh, granting uh, mechanism. But I do think, you know, everything that's been said today and, and what Dave just pointed out about, you know, who, who pays for, for, for wildlife, who pays for conservation. And I've been housed more in zoos over the past 20 years. And and thinking about endangered species conservation, putting a price tag on it is very difficult. And we know that these disease issues are increasingly challenging the very species that zoos work so hard to conserve, whether it's white nose syndrome in bats or canine distempering carnivores, or we could, we could spend your whole time talking about all of these diseases, but who really, who, who pays for it? And, and people will pay more for maybe a patella, or a knee surgery on their poodle than they're willing to do to, to save an amphibian species. And I think that's what your program is so important to, to kind of make people realize that, you know, the biodiversity is what makes all of us have the kind of lives we do and, and, and sustainability for life on Earth. So we need to figure out how, how to, to pay for, for the very thing of, of providing sort of health care across the planet. And that's what I call redefining and changing our benchmark of health and wealth. We're so focused on it being the thickness of our stock portfolio and our wallet and currency and our little own personal drama, as you said, our surgeries and our human health, that we've forgotten that without the health of everything else, we're not going to have a lifestyle, period. So, um, Sharon, I think I might have met some of your camel project people up in uh, outside of Marzabit up there uh, when I was working uh, with the, commu- the the Gabra communities up there. Camels are an incredible resource, and you mentioned an important thing, which I think we'll, we'll label vector species, those crossovers of domestic that inter- interface and interact with wild and interface and interact with domestic and interface and interact with humans. And that's, that's, that's a sticky wicket when these disease, these zoonotic diseases, start crossing over Ebola. As a quick little example, we won't get into that today, um, but it is a bit of an example of what happens when we start messing around with too many people getting into previously pristine, overused word, uh, areas, and what happens when we start cracking open that nut and nature lets loose her her secrets. So um, I have a question here. Um, David, a little while ago, you had mentioned, we've got about a minute and a half here, that it was harder to get into vet school than human med school. Um, I, I'm going to assume or presume that you've, you're familiar with uh, the, the book and the now it sort of seems movement, Zubiquity. Yes. So I think that was a fine, fine book to bring, to explode on the scene that helps us understand the importance of today's conversation. So um, you also worked with U.S. Fish and not U.S. Fish and Wild, Fish and Game, and talking about the ext- near extirpation of 
North American wildlife, as we focus on exotic species, rhino, elephant, tigers, all these big charismatic species and um, sing singular uh, endangered species focus, which we could also call keystone and umbrella, but we forget that our very own North American wildlife uh, carnivores in particular are under big threat. Did you have a lot of, um, we're going to carry over just a little bit more and then we're going to cut to a break. Did you find a lot of issue in getting the public awareness of the need to tolerate and coexist, not necessarily peacefully, but coexist with wildlife in California? Because California is a, a leader on changing paradigms. Yeah, it's, it's always a problem when wildlife encroach on uh, human uh, uh, resources. You know, when carnivores, for example, uh, mountain lions uh, or bears take uh, sheep or honey or other things. What's not really as well understood and maybe as important even is that there are dozens and dozens of other less uh, charismatic species uh, in California and elsewhere in the United States that need help. Red-legged frogs, uh, uh, fringe toad, uh, leopard lizards, fringe-toed lizards, uh, the island fox, uh, the condor. You know, there are lots of other species that maybe are a little less high profile, and all of them have either health problems or habitat problems or human interaction problems. And in a state that's um, as large and as diverse as California, uh, those are just as important as the uh, more popular species. I, I'll have to admit, one of the people we really had to educate or one of the groups we really had to educate was my own department. When I first came into California Fishing Game, all the emphasis was on the fish and the game, the hook and bullet philosophy. And it's only been the last 10 or 15 years we've really been looking really hard at the health of a lot of other species. One of the things that California Fish and Game, one of its signal programs is the stocking of lakes and rivers with trout, only to find out now that trout are a major predator on the red-legged frog. And that um, the spread of bullfrogs and other species that um, can legally be fished and hunted uh, is, a, is a vector for the um, for the uh, chytridium uh, fungus that affects endangered frog species. So it's been, you know, besides educating the public, we've actually had to educate the agencies themselves that are responsible for wildlife. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that. And unfortunately, we're going to have to cut away for a break. We're going to pick this up as soon as we come back. So stick with us. This is Our Wild World, and we'll be right back. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa, 
and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. Welcome back. Uh, this is Ellie and Our Wild World, and we have such an exciting, energetic conversation going on. I wish we had so much more time. But, you know, we're going to follow up on this. But in the meantime, we want to get into the meat of what, no pun intended, of what this, uh, the, the purpose of today's call, which is the 21st Annual Wildlife Medicine Symposium at the UC Davis uh, School of Veterinary Medicine and our guest speakers that are with us today, Dr. David Jessup and Dr. Sharon Deem, and the coordinator of all of this, Julie Sheldon. So Julie, give us the, the who, what, why, when, and where of the symposium, and then we'll um, have our guests, uh, our other guests join in. Thanks, Ellie. So um, as the part of the Wildlife and Aquatic Animal Medicine Club, we always, every year, put on the symposium to uh, the main goal is to bring experts in different fields involving wildlife and zoo and exotic animal medicine together in one place, um, mainly from outside of what we normally get in our curriculum, um, to educate students, but not only students. We, For veterinarians, we offer continuing education credits, and we are going to be encouraging uh the public, uh, biologists, students in other fields to come as well. And you don't have to be in Davis for this event. In fact, we're hoping to reach even more people around the world through our webinar option. Um, so anyone around the world can tune into the symposium during that weekend. And that weekend is going to be April 11th through 12th, 2015. It's a Saturday and Sunday event. Um, it runs all day, about 8 to 5. Um, and we're going to be bringing in speakers from uh, not only the ones you learned about today, um, but some others that we're going to be having from UC Davis are the Dr. Jonna Mazette. Uh, she was one of our Wildlife Health Center directors and head of um, Emerging Zoonotic Disease Studies. You may have heard her on NPR talking about Ebola recently. Um, we're also going to have uh, Dr. Bruce Christensen. He's a, a reproductive medicine faculty here studying reproductive health in endangered species. Others include uh, Dr. Tara Harrison, a faculty member here who studies 
advancements in oncology treatments uh, for zoological animals with cancer, um, that brings us back to the One Health as well. So, um, so d- d- let me interject here a second. Is there a website? Uh, yes. Not we, only the use, is it on the UC Davis website? And do you have a specific website and link that we can help through this program and our listeners that they can go to and find sort of an itinerary agenda? Yes, we have a website. Um, and what is that? That is www.vetmed.ucdavis.edu slash clubs slash WAM slash, and WAM is W-A-A-M, and okay. that okay. will have links to our symposium information. Okay, so our listeners today, be sure to check out the guests page on my host page here, and you'll see that link written out. And you'll be able to get to it from there because some of you may be driving and listening live and not able to go and write all that down. So that link will be available through Our Wild World on Facebook, Twitter, UC Davis website, UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine website. And um, you can always call in and contact me at Our Wild World at uh Ellie at wildeyes.org and find out more information and we'll put you in touch with the right people. Um, so this is very exciting. So you, anybody can attend. So that means, Julie, I could sign up. That is correct. All right. You just might be seeing me in a couple months. Um, this sounds exciting. This sounds fabulous. It's exactly my cup of tea. So um, Sharon, what, what is going to be your topic at, at the symposium? Right, so I'm going to be giving a, a couple talks, and the, the one plenary session that I'm very excited about is, is to talk about sort of the advancements in the field of conservation medicine, and then to go in a bit about international wildlife projects. But I, but I think as all of us have, have said today, this field of conservation medicine and this understanding of how human-induced changes of ecosystems and, and ecosystem health has real implications for animal conservation, but also for human public health. I think we've said the word Ebola two or three times, and, and that's a great example of, of, of a, 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 a term that all your listeners have probably heard about. It's an important human public health concern, but it also has led to the death of, of thousands and thousands of great apes. So it's a, a disease of conservation concern as well. And another point I think that's really important for us to think about is when we think about conservation or we think about, quote, international projects, you know, the U.S. is part of the international community. These things are global. So, it, and Ebola is a great example. You know, it's, it's, it's a global potential problem, and we've seen it in our, on our shores. So I think this interconnectedness of, of, of the planet is very important for us to think about. And, and so part of, you know, what we're going to talk about with international wildlife projects, one of the projects we're going we're gonna to kind of go over is one right here in, in the Midwest looking at box turtles. And it's sort of a sister project to the Galapagos tortoise project, but box turtles need conservation efforts as well. And they, they deal with some wildlife pathogens of, of true population concern. So, so these things are part, they're, they're inside our boundaries, they're in the U.S., globally in other countries, and it's all very connected. And I think that's one of the, the big points about thinking about the world in a sort of one health, one health global approach. 
I'm sorry, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay, I lost you for a second. Could you repeat that last little bit? So I'm not sure where you lost me. But um, I, I, one of the focuses of this is? I think it's important for us to think about it in a, in a One Health Global approach. Okay. So, yeah. Absolutely. You, yeah. One, health, one, health, <coughs> one Health Global Approach. I think we just titled today's episode. Um, mm -hmm. That's perfect. So you had mentioned that it's important. I think it's beyond important. We are, we've reached critical mass. That it's no longer a choice to say, oh, let's think about this. We must, as the human species that is making all the choices for our planet's future, and thus our future and the future of every other living thing, we must begin to connect all these dots and understand how even our tiniest little actions and even more so our inactions are affecting weirding out everything beyond what we can imagine <laughs> yeah yeah so it's it's getting strange out there folks so we have to pay attention so david what will you be speaking about at the symposium I'm going to uh, use the opportunity to uh, highlight some of the uh, activities uh, in California that involve uh, the health of some species that um, are more local. Um, and then I'm going to um, kind of branch out and go galactic on everybody and uh, talk about the future of wildlife medicine since I've been fortunate enough to kind of be in at the very beginning of it and uh, be one of the founders of the American Association of Wildlife Veterinarians and one of the first half dozen wildlife vets. I've been able to see the development of this whole field through my life and my career and, and all of my colleagues. And now that I'm connected with most of them through the organization I manage, it gives me an opportunity to kind of give some perspective on where we may be going and some of the things we can do. I can tell you that what's being done right now by programs like the one Sharon runs, by uh, programs like uh, we're going to see presented at the symposium, were not even imaginable 20 or 30 years ago. Um, this field has expanded and contributed so much. And the future really, because the challenges are great, the future opportunities are great. Absolutely. Well put. And that's what I mean by when I say Earth is hiring. We need everybody to get on board. So you've got a passion. Attend this symposium. It's an unprecedented opportunity to hear from the best of the best, from a wide ranging of perspectives and singular focuses and how they all come together. So, Julie, uh, we've got like maybe seven minutes left. So why don't, between the three of you, let's kind of wrap up how important this is, uh, the opportunities for people to participate. Let's reiterate when it is, how it's available, and how to sign up and who to contact. Okay. <laughs> um, Go for it. So um, why is this important? As a student, I can personally say that it... Um, represents what I've found most important so far in this um, path to trying to get into this field of wildlife medicine. Um, national conferences are very difficult for students to attend due to financial constraints and school commitments. 
And there are a lot of great conferences out there. Um, they offer networking opportunities that you don't get at your own school most of the time. And that's really what you need, or at least what I've learned and what I've heard that you need in order to be, get a shot at becoming important in this career. And um, So by that statement, I'm going to assume this is going to be student affordable, student friendly. What is the price for the symposium, the weekend, so to, to attend in person? Yes. Uh, we have different prices depending on um, if you're a student or if you're a veterinarian. For students, it sh it's only $50 for the whole weekend. Wow. That's, that's yep. incredible. Wow. Yep. Okay. And I, I believe that it might be cheaper if you're doing it via webinar and you're not actually here as well. So there will be a link in, um, on your pages and the, the information that you've provided that you'll be posting and keeping updated through Facebook. Do you have a Facebook page? We do have a Facebook page. Um, okay. I can get that to you. Yes, yeah, send me the link and I will post it. And please post it on my Facebook page, Ellie Weiss, Wild Eyes Foundation, and Our Wild World. Those are three pages. Uh, are you on Twitter? Is there a specific hashtag for this? There's not currently. Well, there listen, your other two presidents, get yeah. on that. We will, we will, and I know that Sharon Deem has a Twitter, and we will make one. <laughs> okay, um, because the, for my listeners, one of the reasons we're doing this episode here in January, and the, the symposium is in April, is to get the word out that this is coming up and you've got a couple of months to get your act together, to make the time, find the $50, coordinate with your friends, and participate in this, because this is the an experience of a lifetime that, uh, as a student, you will not often get this kind of a networking opportunity um, over two days, and as a, a global citizen, to be able to participate through the web. This is really a one-of-a-kind thing. I need to impress upon my listeners just how important this symposium is. So go ahead, Julie, take it away. I have two more important points to make real quick. Um, one is that um, in order to put on the symposium, we it does cost money, and we do... Uh, we are in need of money in order to get all our speakers here and to provide um, the... So people can donate. That's correct. We and where do they donate? Is it a, a nonprofit or is it a gift? Or and, and where do they donate? So we are actually in the process of creating a website so people around the world can donate. And it's going to be through Indiegogo, which is a crowd funding website makes it very easy. We also offer sponsorships to people who as an organization or company would like to sponsor us and we would have their name and they would be mentioned at this and we will also provide you with a sponsor form so if people have friends or are part of organizations or companies that have the ability to donate and, and become a sponsor, we really greatly appreciate that, and not only appreciate that, we actually really need it. Um, well, please put, put my name and my organization at the top of that list. I want that form. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> and um, so what else? Um, we've got two and a half minutes left. What, what do you want? What's the critical thing? You said two points. What was the other? Um, it was just a little point that even if you're 
uh, tuning in via webinar. Um, it's still a great opportunity because you will be able to ask questions um, and be a part of the conversation. So through the symposium, it's going to be, I'm going to refer to the pause conference. It will be panel speakers with an audience, and then there will be sort of a Q&A. They will actually be, um, there will be several lectures, um, one person giving a lecture for a little less than an hour, and then a short period for questions, and then we will also have one period dedicated to a panel for, dedicated for students, so all the speakers will sit up and answer questions regarding the career path and advice. This is amazing. This is so exciting. Um, I can't tell you how privileged I feel to be able to have you on our wild world to announce this because this is important this is exactly what it's all about so um we've got a minute left last words Mm -hmm. uh, go ahead Sharon. yeah i just want to quickly say how impressed i am with ariel adrian and julie they are the future of one health practitioners they are going to be providing the health care for this planet Ella, you've mentioned a few times Earth is hiring. Well, this symposium is a training session for the folks that, that the Earth is hiring. Excellent. <laughs> I Thank like you, it. Sharon. <laughs> and David, you had something? Oh, I just, um, this uh, webinar uh, approach is relatively new. And uh, Julie, one thing that just occurred to me is we can contact all of the several hundred um, student members of the Wildlife Disease Association worldwide and give them the information um, that might up your participation because I know a lot of these students are not associated with schools that have a big wildlife health program and a lot of uh, a lot of activities like this. And this is you know the kind of very affordable thing that WDA tries to promote. Um, so I think we can work on that and yep. maybe get you some participation in Australia, New Zealand, Africa, right. Latin America that you might not get otherwise. And I will certainly put it out to. My rather extensive network of contacts throughout Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, I have colleagues all over the world who have colleagues that are all involved in wildlife conservation and wildlife medicine. I like that versus wildlife veterinary. It, 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 it's much more inclusive. So, And I, I love what you guys are doing. And unfortunately, we are out of time today. But I want to thank each of you for the time and the amazing amount of information you shared today. It was enlightening. It's got me excited. And I will see you all in April. Uh, All things world um, going my way, I will be there. So thank you, Sharon. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you, David. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And thank you, Julie and Adrian. Excuse me. You're two presidents. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, their na- I didn't have time to write their names down. Thank you all for doing what you, you're doing because you truly are our future. So thank you. Um, this is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.